0: Welcome to the Rolling Hills Community Church Sermon Podcast. This summer, we're walking through the Book of Romans, taking a masterclass from the rich and powerful book of the New Testament. Romans is one of the greatest books of the Bible. It is the essence of the gospel and provides the rich doctrine of our faith. Romans was written by the Apostle Paul to the church in Rome, and God has used it to change the hearts of men and ultimately the world. In Romans, we see the impact of our sin, which reveals our deep need for God, and then the importance of living out our faith in Jesus today. Whether a lifelong student of the Bible to a first-time believer, this is a masterclass for everyone. Let's listen in.
1: Well, good morning. Hey, I'm really glad that you're here, and I'm also really glad to be here. Um, My name is Nick Allen, and I serve as the campus pastor to our Nashville campus, but it's a thrill for me to get to be here um, at our Franklin campus today and then streaming to the other regional campuses this morning. I spent 11 years working in various roles at the Franklin campus when there was just this one campus, and now it's a privilege to get to serve in Nashville. Good morning, guys, in Nashville. I miss you. Um, and I can't wait to be back with you again this summer. If you're a first time guest, I hope that you'll come back because I would love to meet you in person. Um, and I also want to give a special shout out this morning to our Nolansville campus. Um, hey guys, love what God is doing there. It was a joy and an honor for me to get to be there with you guys way back when we did Romans chapter three towards the beginning of this series. Um, Haywood Hills and Columbia campuses. I'm still waiting for my invitation because I'd love to come and see all the things that God is doing there on a Sunday morning. It was my family's great joy to get to go and be at our Haywood campus last Saturday because this summer we have a series of do good local Saturday serve days. And so we got to help clean out and clean up and get ready for a full public launch, everything over at our Haywood Hills campus, the newest campus in Nashville. And there's a similar project that's happening in Columbia. And if you missed the first week, that's okay, because there's another opportunity this Saturday for you guys to sign up and join us to serve in really amazing ways. And if you're joining us from online somewhere, like probably at the beach, that's okay, celebrating the fourth. We're glad that you took time to join in today because we've got a really good word for us from Romans chapter 11. I spent the last week of my life preaching at a camp in St. Louis to a bunch of middle school and high school kids. Um, It was a fantastic opportunity. I love seeing what God is doing in the lives of the next generation, literally all over the place, as he draws them to himself and equips them to change the world around us. And I was there with a fantastic worship leader. Um, And he comes up to me at one point through the week. I was wearing one of my Rolling Hills t-shirts because y'all know they are many. Um, It was actually the one that was gifted to us this year at the Ryman when we celebrated our 20th anniversary. So it says, Rolling Hills Community Church established 2003, because we're 20 years old, and that's where we began. And he looked at it, and he pointed to the date, and he said, hey, 2003, that's when I was born. (laughs) To which I replied, Lord, bless you for your ministry, because a full-blown adult worship leader told me that he was born in the year 2003. It will come as no shock to you um, that I was born in the 1900s. And I do have this like far off fantasy idea that one day my kids will will grow up and if the Lord tarries and they'll get married and have families of their own and that my kids will be able to look at their kids, my grandchildren, and they'll say, hey guys, did you know what? Your poppy was born in the 1900s. Cause I think that'll sound like so much of a big deal. Now, way back in the 1900s, there are some things that I thought, that I imagined what, what this decade, this era, this 2023 life that I'm living might look like. And if we had gone back to what I thought way back in the 1980s when I was growing up as a kid, like I would have already encountered quicksand and live volcanoes a whole lot more than I have already, which is none. Like, didn't you think that quicksand was gonna be like a legitimate crisis that you were gonna have to avoid in life? I did. And I also thought based on one of my favorite television shows, Knight Rider, that I would have already had a car that would carry on a conversation with me. And I know that Google and AI and Siri, that's all a legitimate thing, but I wanted a car that would would interact with me and help me solve crimes. Didn't you? Like, wasn't that a thing? Um, I also do think incidentally that Mr. Feeney would be a much better voice for Siri um, than the one that we currently have. And if you don't know what that means, you can Google it. (laughs) there are some things like way back when that I just thought were gonna play out very differently in my life. And you can go back to any of the mixed up things that you thought when you were little, uh, like, like what would be different about you today? And some of them are just kids growing up and they're funny, but some of them are real life and they're hard. Like maybe the relationship that you're in or the marriage that once was, you just, you thought life was gonna turn out differently than it has or the career that you began 10 or 20 years ago, you just thought that it would it would have somehow ended up at a different place than it is right now. Somehow or another, what you thought has not actually been the thing that transpired and that's left you a little bit surprised and a little bit disappointed. And you just thought something would have been different at this point, at this phase, at this stage in your life. I want everybody to repeat something after me. That's all you regional campuses too. Here we go. Baruch Atta. Okay, that was good. But I'm, now that you know where we're going, that this like another language here, I'm gonna let you have another shot at this. Okay, Baruch Ata Adonai Eloheinu Melech A'olam. You have no idea what I just made you say. Like I could have told you that your mother is ugly and that I hate cheese and you would have no idea. What well, we actually, did y'all do that in Colombia. Like somebody will tell me if you didn't, it's okay. What you did pronounce was one of the Hanukkah blessings. Um, Merry Christmas in July, by the way. It's a fun season. You just pronounced a blessing. That, That means this, blessed are you, Lord our God, ruler of the universe. it's a blessing that's pronounced at the start of Hanukkah. And what it declares is that regardless of the moments when I've been surprised, regardless of the moments when I've been disappointed, regardless of the moments when things didn't turn out the way that I wanted them to, the way that I thought in my power and my control and my effort, I could manipulate them into turning out, that somehow or another, the great God of this universe is still in control, that he's in command. No matter where we are, no matter where we thought we'd be, God is still moving. If you don't remember anything else from this morning, if you tune out from this point forward, what you have to know is that all throughout this book, not just this book of Romans, but this entire work of scripture that we've been gifted and the understanding that we have through the power of the Holy Spirit to reconcile our lives according to this, that God is and always will be in complete control. And just because something turns out in a way that we did not see coming doesn't mean that he was ever shocked. Doesn't mean that he was ever not in complete control. We're in a masterclass series this summer. If you've been tracking along with us today, we're in Romans chapter 11, and that's because we were in Romans chapter 10 last week and chapter nine the week before. And I invite you to turn your Bibles with me there to chapter 11 as we continue. And if you haven't been able to be a part of every single one of these weeks, go back Online and check out the messages that have come from each one of these chapters because God is painting for us an incredible portrait of not only who He is, but who He's declared and who He has called that we would be. Now, I read a book at the beginning of this series by a scholar and a seminary professor named Scott McKnight, and it's called Reading Romans Backwards. And it meant that I started in chapter 16 and worked my way all the way back to chapter one. That is not what we've done in this series. So don't, we've gone more linearly, so don't be confused. But the beginning of chapter 16, there's a important mention for us. And I've said it a lot at the Nashville campus as a reminder, Paul literally names this woman Phoebe because she's the person that scripture and history tells us was the patron who took the word of God from Paul when he's writing a letter to the Roman church, to the actual house churches, that it was her face and her voice that they encountered when they first received these words. And it's a reminder for us that the bearer of that good word was a woman. It's a reminder for us that the bearer of that good news was not in fact Jewish, but a Gentile. It's a reminder for us that the woman in question, Phoebe, was actually affluent. She was a deacon leader in the life of the church of Sincre, and she was a trusted benefactor of Paul. And so many others, and if you're not a person who uses the word benefactor very often like me, it's somebody who uh, gives money or help to a person or a cause. Let there be no doubt that when we read the name Phoebe in scripture, we ought to say, man, I want me one of those. (laughs) So here she was, her face, her voice, bringing these words to life week after week after week in our story. And this section of Romans from basically chapter 9 to 11 is, is set squarely at the Jews. The church of this day was a very diverse church full of Jews and Gentiles, poor people, rich people, slaves and free. Like it was full of a very diverse group of people. And this particular word is talking to the Jewish brothers and sisters in faith about their other Jewish brothers and sisters who have not yet declared faith. It was Jewish believers in Jesus. And Paul is describing what on earth is going to happen to those Jewish brothers and sisters in their chosenness who yet don't believe in Jesus. Because these Jews, all of them together are the sons and daughters of Abraham. They're people who have been gifted the glorious Old Testament covenant. They can trace all of their heritage back to Moses and the Exodus. They can tell stories of their ancestors who crossed the parted waters out of Egypt. Their their forefathers fought against the Philistines and the Midianites. Every story that you read in the Old Testament is not just a story, it's their history. And they worshiped outside Solomon's temple and they have some sort of story from great, 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 great great aunt, whatever, who remembers when it was destroyed. It's a people who suffered in Babylonian exile. They they emerged scathed under Persian rule. Now they've endured a brutal Greek conquest and now they sit as second class human beings under the oppressive Roman empire. It's a people who celebrated Passover all the way since Exodus. It's a people who for the last couple hundred years have been pronouncing these Hanukkah blessings thinking that somehow life would finally turn out the way that they hoped, the way they felt, like they had been promised, they just thought that things were going to turn out differently. This first audience in the Roman church, they understand that Jesus Christ is the way. Perhaps some of them were the believers who heard Peter's first sermon and they were among the first 3,000 baptized in Acts chapter two. Perhaps some of them were the family members of those in Acts chapter four who had joined them in faith. Yet they know full well that there are those in religious Jewish leadership, the Pharisees, the Sadducees, and then also in their own families who have rejected Jesus Christ. What happens, Paul, when they don't believe like we believe? And that's a question that you don't have to be Jewish to ask. You don't have to be an Israelite in this story to wonder and to be burdened over what might happen to those who haven't heard the gospel early in my ministry career more than 20 years ago. I was teaching people how to share their faith in large city contexts. And we always explain that there are three different types of unchurched people. The first, which is 60%, it's the vast majority worldwide of unchurched people are just uninformed. Like they just need somebody to bring them the gospel. They need somebody to tell them the story of Jesus. They need a Bible, perhaps in their own language. They need a missionary or a church in their context. And if somebody would just tell them, they would believe. But then we know, and we often inflate this group, it's the 30% of those who are antagonistic to faith. Somehow they encountered the gospel, but they were skeptical of the gospel. They encountered the gospel, but they were burned by somebody who played the gospel. And they have stepped away from the thought of ever believing or trusting that there's a great God in this universe who can love them and has purpose for them. And then the final group, we often inflate this even more. It's the 10% who declare themselves to be closed. I am an atheist. I am an anti. I am not gonna believe. No matter what you say, no matter what you do, church, I will not believe. And what we have to, they have outright rejected whatever the truth is that they've been presented and what we have to know is that just because, this is for Israel, it's in your notes this morning. If you like to write things down so you don't forget them or you can stay awake and pay attention, it's for Israel way back then, and it's for us here right now. Closed doesn't mean final. Closed doesn't mean final. Paul starts off this particular chapter in Romans. He says, I ask then, did God, just because they rejected him, did God reject his people? Paul gives the answer, by no means. By no means, just because the Jews up at this point, many of them had rejected Jesus Christ as the coming Messiah did not mean that God had turned his back on his people and rejected them in his stead. What if just for a moment throughout this whole book and specifically right here in this context, we let Paul be both patron and picture. He was certainly the patron who took the gospel to the uttermost parts of the world, allowing not only Jews, but Gentiles to heal the good news of Jesus. But he's also a picture and a pretty good one Is there anybody more Jewish than him? He says at the close of that verse, I'm an Israelite myself, a descendant of Abraham of the tribe of Benjamin. He explains even further, Jason Hale, the Nolansville campus pastor and I, we got to go and be a part of Beach Week in the life of all the Rolling Hills students from all the campuses as they had camp this summer. It's a phenomenal experience. If your student is not Participating. If your middle school or high school is not diving into student ministry, please get them plugged in because they're phenomenal leaders and opportunities investing in their lives. They're going to be a generation that changes the world. And we did a deep dive into the book of Philippians where Paul expands a whole lot further on what his life has been like. He says in chapter three, starting with verse four, though I myself have reasons for such confidence, if somebody else thinks they have reasons to put confidence in the flesh, I have more. He says, circumcised on the eighth day of the people of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews, in regard to the law, a Pharisee, as for zeal, persecuting the church, as for righteousness based on the law, faultless. Yet he continues, but whatever were gains to me, I now consider loss for the sake of Christ. What is more, I consider everything a loss not just my Jewish resume, but everything a loss because it's a surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord, for whose sake I have lost all things. I consider them garbage that I may gain Christ and be found in him. Not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law and my pursuit and my effort and my, my ego, but that which is through faith in Christ, the righteousness that comes from God on the basis of faith. And if there was ever a message that this entire New Testament work gives us not just the book of Romans, but the letters to Philippians, the letters to the Ephesians, the letters to the Colossians. And the, that's what, if there was ever a message, it's that grace is a gift of God through faith, not because of the works that we do. He says in verse 12 of Philippians chapter three, not that I have already obtained this. That's good news for us, because if Paul had not yet obtained it, it's, it's OK that we're still on a journey to Not that I've already obtained this or already arrived at my goal, but I press on to take hold of that for which Christ Jesus took hold of me. Paul is certainly a patron of the gospel because he's transmitting this word in every sacrificial opportunity he's given so that people like you and me would have the hope of Jesus. But he's also the perfect picture of what God can do in the life of someone who believes because he went from someone who is persecuting Christians, literally hunting them down, to someone who is sacrificially serving Christ. So what concerning the Jews? He already said in chapter nine, that all Israel, all ethnic Israel is not all faith-filled Israel. And that it doesn't depend on any of their human effort, but on the mercy of God. He had already asked the question at the conclusion of chapter 10. Okay, so wait a minute, does Israel still have a shot? And he answers from Isaiah 65, all day long, God offered them that truth. I hold out my hands to an obstinate people and all the mamas in the room say, "Mm, I know the feeling. But just because there's been a rejection doesn't mean the rejection is final. Just because you and I see doom Just because there's disappointment, just because things don't go our way, just because stuff doesn't turn out the way that we hoped or thought, just because we see doom on the horizon does not mean that there is no door. It goes on in chapter 11, verse two to say, God did not reject. Just because they rejected him, God did not reject his people whom he foreknew. Don't you know what scripture says in the passage about Elijah? Paul hand selected this particular story to remind this particular people about how Elijah appealed to God against Israel. Lord, they have killed your prophets and torn down your altars. I am the only one left and they are trying to kill me. There's moments in our lives where we think that we're the only ones. Oh, we are the only believer that's still faithful to God's word. Oh, we are the only one that's standing on this truth. Oh, we are the only one that is a herald to the nations. Oh, we're the only church that has remained strong. No, listen to God's reply to Elijah because it's, it's God's reply to us. He says, what did God answer to him? I have reserved for myself 7,000 who have not bowed the knee to Baal. So too, Paul says, at the present time, there is a remnant chosen by grace. You who are sitting up in this house church, Jewish brothers and sisters, Gentile brothers and sisters, you will not be the only ones. The door is not yet closed. This word is not yet final. God is doing something. And if it's by grace, then it cannot be based on works. If it were, grace would no longer be grace. What a carefully chosen example. Everybody in the earshot of Paul's words, in Phoebe's voice, hearing this letter, understanding his reference, they get to take courage that just because people haven't yet believed doesn't mean they won't believe and doesn't mean that God is not making a way. Continues in verse seven, what then? What the people of Israel sought so earnestly they did not obtain. The elect among them did. Those who would believe did, but the others were hardened as it is written. It's Old Testament. He's quoting it so the people understand what God is saying. God gave them a spirit of stupor, eyes that could not see and ears that could not hear to this very day. And David says, may their table, the thing that they set that would bring them closer to God, the rules that they followed that they, that they thought made them stand out before God, may their table, may their ideas, may their effort, may their work, may it become a snare and a trap A stumbling block and a retribution for them. May their eyes be darkened so they cannot see and their backs be bent forever. Y'all, that sounds so harsh. This is not going the way that I thought it would. And yet, Paul says again, I ask, did they stumble so as to fall beyond recovery? Was their hardness of heart too hard? Was their failure to follow too much? Not at all. Rather, because of their transgression, this is the beauty of the gospel, salvation has come to the Gentiles, hallelujah, to make Israel envious. But if their transgression means riches for the world and their loss means riches for the Gentiles, how much greater riches will their full inclusion bring to a people who... Who thought things were going to turn out very, very differently? God said, I always had a bigger, better, Plan in mind. He says in verse 13, I'm talking to you, Gentiles. That's us. We're listening to these words. Inasmuch as, as I'm an apostle to the Gentiles, I take pride in my ministry. He's excited about the work that God has called him to and equipped him for. And he says, This is part of the reason in the hope that I may somehow arouse my own people to envy and save some of them. There's an application point for you and me in here. In this day, in this generation, in the world in which we live, a question that we ought to ask ourselves before we engage in a relationship, before we go to work in the morning, before we show up at school, before we have a conversation with someone who's uninformed or antagonistic or even thinks that they're closed to the gospel of Jesus, before we post online or blast whatever else is going on in the world, before we enter a voting ballot, before we make a decision in the morning, we ought to ask ourselves, am I living a life that makes people long for or makes them limit grace. That's my greatest concern for the modern church. Are we living on our faith? It's my greatest concern for us at Rolling Hills, Nashville campus, looking at you. like It's my greatest concern for the area that we live in, that we're called to. Are we living on our faith in Christ in a way that's winsome, in a way that's loving, in a way that makes people long for the kind of freedom and forgiveness that we enjoy? One of my favorite, new favorite, like new to me, authors and speakers and pastors is Sharon Hottie Miller in Durham, North Carolina. I got to share this a few weeks ago um, at the student camp with Rolling Hills students. She says this, many of us who grew up in the church, um, like me back in the 1900s, like grew up in the life of a church. Many of us who grew up in the life of the church were handed very good things and handles that broke. That's right. Many of us were handed the very word of God with what she says are handles of legalism, of rules and work and effort and they broke some of us grew up in the life of the church in the 1900s like I did and, and evangelicalism was exploding and churches were growing bigger than they had ever grown, grown before. Here in America, we were just seeing the gospel go out and all of us were called to memorize John 3:16, And we just sang about it a few minutes ago. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have what everlasting life. And I wish upon wish that some of the leaders in my life who had inspired me to memorize John 3:16 had done the exact same thing with John 3:17, because it says God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. And somehow or another, we were handed a gospel of grace with a picture of works that has made us respond to everybody else out there in the world that is always in its current moving towards sin with judgment and condemnation. It's as if somehow we think, we've been conditioned to believe that if I don't come out guns blazing, Twitter using against, adamantly and against and opposed to every single sinner, then I'm inadvertently condoning sin. Like so afraid that if I don't get aggravated against every sinner, then that must mean that I'm somehow condoning sin. And what we have not understood is that somewhere between condemnation of sin and condoning anything and everything is Christ-like love in the middle that we are called to represent in the world. That somehow or another, God might do something different. Listen, if Jesus Christ did not come to condemn then my mercy, how arrogant and also hashtag stupid is it for me to assume that role and responsibility in the world? God, I got this. You send Jesus to offer grace and I will tell everybody else on your behalf how very wrong they are and doomed. Rather than conceited, rather than arrogant, the gospel should make us convicted. It should make us convicted. Paul says, I do not want you to be ignorant of this mystery. I mean, parts of the scripture that we've been handed are a mystery. They're they're things that we just can't in our human minds fully comprehend before God. He says, but I don't want you to be ignorant of this mystery, brothers and sisters, so that you may not be conceited. Israel has indeed experienced a hardening of heart in part until the full number of Gentiles has come in. And for us to be a people who understand and share in this glorious work in Columbia and all the parts of Nashville and Nolensville, and right here in Franklin and Middle Tennessee and to the uttermost parts of the world, we need a passion for people who do not know so that we can illustrate to them through grace and mercy and love the way that they might in fact know. We don't get to know 100% in full detail of what's going to happen to Jewish brothers and sisters, Jewish people of not having faith in Jesus just yet, and the entire Jewish nation. I love Beth Moore's Bible study on the book of Daniel. Some of y'all might have done that before. It's fantastic. It explains a whole lot more of what our current understanding of end times are than even the book of Revelation. Daniel is phenomenal. He gives us a lot of information and some of it's very, um, it's full of imagery. And she gives a perfect picture. You're only going to understand this if you're from the 1900s like me, that all throughout the Old Testament scriptures, like from the very beginning, pretty much all the way until the time that Jesus said, oh yeah, you're gonna be my witnesses in Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria and the uttermost parts of the world in Acts 1.8. And then he ascended back into heaven until Acts chapter two, God has been on the phone with the Jews, just chatting it up, writing that story. And then at some point in Acts chapter two, he he kind of puts them on hold for just, hey, y'all hang on for just a minute. And then he clicks over, it's called waiting. Y'all remember that? And he talks to, it's very different now on smartphones. He talks to the Gentiles. And for the past few thousand years, he's been on the phone with the uttermost parts of the world, inviting anybody and everybody to come to faith in Jesus Christ. And Beth Moore says that at one point, we don't know when this point's gonna happen, he's gonna put us on hold for just a minute. Hey, you guys, hold on. That's right. And you don't hang up. I'll be right back. I don't know what kind of music we get to listen to when that happens. I mm, 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 mm. hope it's got a beat. And he puts us on hold, and he goes right back to the Jews to finish writing out the story. Charles Spurgeon understood it like this, hearkening back to the parting of the Red Sea. He says, the vanguard, the, the first leaders in the army had already reached the shore And that we are marching through the depths, following hard after our leader, through the heart of the sea. So let us be of good cheer that the rear guard shall soon be where the vanguard already is. The last of the chosen ones shall soon have crossed the sea and the song of triumph shall be heard. When he painted a picture of what it's like for Israel that some who had already believed in Jesus had made it to the other side of the shore and everything else that's happened in all of human history since is you and I with Jewish brothers and sisters, Gentile brothers and sisters, marching through walls of ocean onto safe ground. And there are some people still in the back who haven't yet trod down yet, but they will. It says in verse 26, and in this way, all Israel will be saved. As it is written, the deliverer will come from Zion. That's we have a Jewish savior. He will turn godlessness away from Jacob. And this is my covenant with them when I take away their sins. As far as the gospel is concerned, they are enemies for your sake. But as far as election is concerned, they are loved on account of the patriarchs for God's gifts and his call are irrevocable. Somehow or another, it's not like how I thought, it's not how they thought it for sure. God is working things out. And we don't get to know all the full details of that plan. There are scholars and theologians, far smarter than anybody in this room, definitely self-included, who have different theories over what this means for the people of Israel, what this means for ethnic Israel, what this means for nation Israel. But somehow or another, we can rest assured that God is not taking his hand off the wheels. And he says this, just as you who were at one time disobedient to God, In the story of the Roman church, whether you're a Jewish believer hearing this or a Gentile believer hearing this, all of you were disobedient to God. You've now received mercy as a result of their disobedience. So they too, I mean, they crucified Jesus. So they too have now become disobedient in order that they too may now receive mercy as a result of God's mercy to you. Goodness, things did not turn out how they thought. But God never stopped working out his plan. His plan was better. But God bound everyone over to disobedience, proved through Romans chapter 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, 6, 7, 8, 9, 10, that every single one of us was disobedient. Every single one of us had fallen short of God's glorious standard. Everyone over to disobedience so that what? He might have mercy on them all. All, and this is what it says to us, regardless of what happens to Israel. Maybe you are ethnic Israel and you don't know because you haven't done one of those DNA tests right now, but you can, you can find out. Maybe there's some Jewish brothers and sisters in faith in this room. This is what this says to us, regardless of our ethnic heritage, that evangelism must be an ongoing priority. For that, there is no mystery there. We just read the reason, so that they may too receive mercy as a result of God's mercy to you. God used Israel's vast Old Testament law to prove to us that we were doomed sinners without a savior. And through their rejection of Jesus, he was gifted to us, Gentiles, this great grace so that what? He can use us to demonstrate that kind of mercy, demonstrate that kind of grace, demonstrate that kind of forgiveness to prove to even his own people and the rest of the world in the process how vast he always was so that the mercy we've received can be the method that we communicate his love and his hope to the rest of the world. Sometimes this means that perspective must be dosed regularly. We always have to be coming back to this word. We always have to be coming back to this truth. Colossians 3 reminds us that we we have to set our minds on things above, not on earthly things, so that our momentary problems, so that our momentary afflictions, so that that our temporal trials and the struggles that we face and the surprises that we endure and the disappointments that we walk through in this life don't get so big that we fail to see that there's something far greater out there. And it's that the gospel might go out so that other people can see that Jesus Christ is good, that he is Lord and that he loves, and that there's forgiveness, and that there's hope, and that there is freedom. That regardless of how we thought any of this was gonna turn out, we got one job, to display him to the world and to give him glory. Today, I want us to close by taking the last few verses of this chapter it's a concluding doxology. It's a, it's a proclamation for us and it's a prayer that we might live this out for others. We're just gonna read it out loud together. That's, that's right here in Franklin. You're gonna read it out loud together with me at all of our regional campuses and even online, wherever you're at, we're gonna say verses 33 through 36 together. We're not gonna do it in Hebrew to confuse anybody. We're gonna read these words together. It says, oh, you ready? Oh, the depth of the riches of the wisdom and knowledge of God. How unsearchable his judgments and his paths beyond tracing out. Who has known the mind of the Lord or who has been his counselor? Who has ever given to God that God should repay them for from him and through him and for him are all things. To him be the glory forever, amen. To us when we think we know it all, to us when we think we have it all or should be able to predict it all or understood it all, God gives us this, hey, watch out. Look what I'm capable of. Look what I've planned from the beginning. I am the ruler of the universe. And we know that. We know that we say that he belongs to all glory is his. We, we know and we understand that he declares who he is and we can say it out loud, but do we believe it in here? Like God is the ruler over the universe. He's the planner of all things, but is he the ruler over you? And are you living a life that points other people to the goodness and the mercy and the grace that you have found in him? Because the door's not closed yet, no matter how adamant somebody is. The door is not closed yet, but it one day will be. And we don't get to know when that door closes and we don't get to know who all is gonna be hearers and grafted in and chosen in those last moments. What we, what we do get to know is that right now it's our, God-given call and responsibility to give him so much glory for the goodness and the mercy and the grace that we received that other people are envious of it and they wanna know, where'd you find that? Oh, the depths and the riches of the wisdom and the knowledge, like, may we just be so eat up and taken back by him and may in all mercy and grace and love, we show the rest of the world who he is so that they can experience him too. Lord Jesus, you're ruler over the universe and you're ruler over me. May we truly understand what it means for you to be ruler over us all so that all glory and all honor and all praise can continue to belong to you. And that can be on display in our lives in such a way that the rest of the world sees and is no longer antagonistic to this gospel, no longer close-minded to your truth, but they desire your love more than anything else. And they wanna know you, like Paul says, above everything else. We don't know when the end will come. We just trust that one day it will. And in the meantime, we've got work to do to give you glory and to show others who you are. Oh, Jesus, we love you. To you be all glory in us and through us and in spite of us so that other people can experience the mercy we've been gifted. It's in your name that we pray today. Amen.
0: Thank you for listening to the Rolling Hills Sermon Podcast. Share this episode with friends and family in your life. Make sure you subscribe to be notified so you never miss a sermon. If you are interested in learning more about Rolling Hills, download our Rolling Hills app, follow us on social media, or visit our website at rollinghills.church. The Rolling Hills Sermon Podcast is a part of the Rolling Hills Podcast Network, available on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and Google Podcasts. Thanks for tuning in.